0: Good morning. Am I'm alive? Yes. Um, (laughs) You're way out there. I'm not used to that. So if I start moving around, you're just going to have to let that be what it is. Um, One of the things you get to do when you're a preacher is you get to say some things before you actually say something. And so I want to say a couple things before I say something this morning. I don't even know how to begin to tell you what it feels like to see Nate standing here. Uh, He came to work at Church of the Redeemer, and we basically said there's a kid upstairs who takes care of the youth. And while he was still that kid, he found another kid who was still in college at the time. She was a recreation major. I was a physical education major many, many years before her. And there's an ongoing joke between us, okay, that recreation majors don't do anything. They learn how to help you recreate. I don't know why you have to go to school, to learn how to recreate, but there you are. And to watch these two... Susie and I had the privilege of being at their wedding. I did their wedding ceremony. And to stand up and to sit here and hear him. It's just a great privilege. So I am blessed. I hope you're as blessed as I am to see him. Um, Also, the good news is, is I don't preach as long as he does. I'm not near as smart as he is. So even with my second comment it's still not going to take the time that he takes. And here's the second comment. I have a secret that I want you to know that, uh, and it'll make sense at the end of the sermon, it'll make sense at the end of my conversation with you, my sermon this morning, but this is very hard to do. I'm a stranger to you, and this thing is not going to work if I don't bend it just right here. Okay. Uh, this is very hard to do, to stand in front of you and to open God's word. You think, well, why is it so hard? We're all Christians here but I don't know you, and you don't know me, and I don't know if you're going to be offended by me doing this, and if you're going to get annoyed by me fiddling with this thing that Nate put on so easily, and I'm still fiddling with it, okay? Oh, there it is, okay? So I just want you to know that this is a difficult thing to do, and so if you're a good charismatic this morning, I know we're in a Presbyterian church. I know we're the frozen chosen. If if you're supposed to say amen, somebody say amen, if I tell a lousy joke and you're supposed to laugh, would somebody laugh, please? Just so you, so I know that I can feel at home, okay? All right, well, thank you. And Nate, it's a privilege to stand here. Uh, they're a little too far away for my liking, but that's okay, all right? Because um, I, I don't have my glasses on, so I can't see. If you're asleep, it's okay. Um, I want to begin this morning by saying something to you. Uh, at our church, we have a very similar call to worship as you do. And I noticed in your call to worship, you said, God summons, God seeks, God speaks. And then you have a thing called a benediction, which is God blesses. And then the very ending of it is, it says, God sends. Do you guys recognize those little words in your order of worship? Anybody, anybody remember it? Anybody look at it this morning? Okay, there you go. All right, good. All right, so he does that. And then we have a little thing we do at the very end of our service, very similar, and we say, now that we have just received Christ, go in that assurance, in the assurance of your forgiveness, and serve. In other words, service is over, now go. And then everybody says, thanks be to God, and that means they're going to go and do it. All right, so we end our service with a send, and the thanks be to God means... You're going to go now and do it. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I want to talk to you about what happens when you go outside the doors of this church. What does it mean to go outside, and what does it mean to be one of God's witnesses? Our passage this morning is from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Um, And if you have your Bibles, you know what to do. Take them out, open them up, read along with me. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, and I begin in verse 1 of Acts chapter 1. Hear with me now the word of the living God. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while he was with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized you with water. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times, or the seasons that the Father has fixed for his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking up, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into the heavens as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And he said, Men of Galilee, Why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but this is the word of our God, and it is eternal. Let's pray together. Again, our Father and our God, we thank you that you do not remain silent, but that you gave us your word. And this morning, Holy Spirit, we ask you to open our eyes and show us beautiful things from the Scripture Most of all, Holy Spirit, show us Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. So this morning, as we look at this passage, I want us to look at three things. Actually, two things. I only have a two-point sermon this morning. Two things, um, and just two things that help you as you think about this. I want us to see first purpose in this passage, and I want us to see power. I want us to see that there's a purpose, why this is written, and then I want us to see the power purpose and power. Now let's again consider what we just read. Luke's writing to Theophilus, which means lover of God. So if you love God this morning, he's writing to you. So that means no one gets to leave. If you're a lover of God, this is written to you. He's writing in his first book, the Gospel of Luke, O Theophilus, I began to deal with all that Jesus began to If you have, you have a pencil, underline that in your Bible. Began. What he began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. And after he had given them commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles who he had chosen. In shorthand, simply what Luke is saying is the work's not finished yet. The work is not done. Jesus began. Now you finish. O lover of God, people of God, what Jesus began you're called upon to finish. Jesus isn't finished yet. Now, redemption is finished. You guys are good Bible students, good Bible scholars. You understand that. It's bought. Your redemption is secure. Your mansion is already complete. Okay? Your mansion's complete. In fact, I know that God is not waiting on a plumber to come and set the toilets in your mansion. Now, that's a joke. You can laugh. I used to be a plumber, so that's why I use these jokes, okay? 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 I have a license to do plumbing. But God's not waiting. He's not saying we can't finish things down there because I got a few more details to do on construction on the new heavens and the new earth. It is already complete. It's already, and it's just outside of you. i like to say it's just, if we could pull the veil back, we could see it. We could sometimes see it through the veil thinly. We see it sometimes, okay? But we're still here. Did you notice? We're still here. And that is not an accident. It's not an oversight on God's part. The mansions are ready. And if we're still here, there must be some other reason. There must be some other purpose. Look at verse 4. While he was staying with them, this is after the resurrection, after they have walked three years with him, after they've done all that they've done, the whole time, everything that they've seen, after three years, before he departed, he says, now he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise. In a sense, essence, he says, don't go anywhere yet, because you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit not many days from now. John baptized with water, but this is different. And look at what happens next. This is what he tells him. And look what happens next. It would be comical if it's not written. It would be comical if we didn't do this ourselves. Look what happens next. He says, so when they came together, they said, Lord, what's this baptism of the Holy Spirit going to be like? Look at your scriptures. That's not what they said. When they came together, they said, Lord, at this time will you restore the kingdom of Israel? At this time will you give us our lives back, please? Will you make life peaceful and orderly? Will you give us equilibrium? Will you make it easy for us, Lord? We want the glory days back. We've suffered with you for three years. We've done this. We've done that. We saw all that. Now, can we have our lives back? Anybody ever asked that question? When can I go back to normal? Okay, living with me, there is no normal. When can I go back to normal? When I realized, when I was studying this several months ago, getting prepared to look at this, I thought, they're missing the point. He's promising the Holy Spirit. He's promising the Creator God Himself. Paul Tripp does it this way. Have you ever heard Paul Tripp do this? Paul Tripp says, God goes like this, zzz, and He unzips you. And the Holy Spirit climbs in and zips back up, and begins to work from the outside, from the inside out, conforming you to the image of Christ. This is the promise. And they're saying, can we have our kingdom back, please? Can we have our lives back to normal, please? Can we be the head and not the tail anymore? He's promising them that He will come in the form of the Holy Spirit. God Himself will live in them, and they want their own comfort. They wanted orderly lives. We want orderly lives. We want our kingdoms. American dream, right? Health, peace, prosperity. Summarized: fat, dumb, and happy. Sorry. Oh, that's good. You can snicker at that. That's good. You guys are with me. Good. You're listening. See, that's what we want. Now, we need to take another aside. Look what happens next. This is the best part. Well, it's not the best part. I'll say that 10 times. This is amazing what happens next. Jesus says to him, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on them. He says, in other words, it's not for you to know, but you're going to get the Holy Spirit. Remember I just told you about the Holy Spirit, and you asked about the kingdom, and I told you, you know, I'm not going to tell you about the kingdom. You're going to get the, he reminds them again what they're getting. But look at how he does it. Do you see the balance here? He does not say to them, how many times do I have to tell you, you blockheads? You've been with me for three years. I've been telling you, and you're asking me about that again. Weren't you paying attention? See, that's how I do it. That's what I do. I get tired of explaining myself over and over again, and then I lose my temper and my patience. I know nobody in here does. Nate says, all of you are beautifully perfect people. But I understand, but Jesus does not do that. No, he answers. His answer is so astounding because he does this. He places his confidence in their sanctification where it belongs. Where? In the Holy Spirit. He is now going to depart and turn them over to the Spirit of the living God to accomplish what Jesus died for, what Jesus suffered for. He didn't say, Dad, I can't come home right now. I'm not sure the Spirit can finish this job. He turns them over to the Holy Spirit. He turns us over to the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that he spoke about many times in the gospel. John chapter 14, verse 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he'll teach you all things and bring you into remembrance of all that I have said to you. Jesus knows this is going to take time. He knows that about you too. He knows that about us. He knows It's going to take time. The disciples are a work in progress. He understands that. Emily Dickinson writes this. She writes, truth must dazzle gradually, or every man be blind. Truth must dazzle gradually, or all men be blind. The truth must dawn on us slowly. It's true, but we must not forget that the truth must first dazzle. Truth must dazzle. So are you dazzled this morning that the Holy Spirit resides in you if you're one of God's children? Is that dazzling to you? When was the last time you thought about that? When was the last time you just sat back and said, I have the Holy Spirit alive, living inside of me? Don't make a moan and groan every time you pray. You guys know that from the scriptures, right? Spirit groans. (laughs) One pastor said, because he looks at how much work he's got to do in you, that's why he's groaning. I'm not sure that's correct, but I thought it was funny at the time. Okay, okay. you see, the truth must dazzle gradually. It must come to us, but it must dazzle. Annie Dillard writes in her book, Teaching a Stone to Talk. And this is where it's going to start to get pointed. I'm starting to aim at you now. Ready? Okay. Why do people in churches seem like cheerful, brainless tourists on a package tour of the absolute. Why do people in churches seem like cheerful, brainless tourists on a package tour of the absolute? On the whole, I do find Christians outside the catacombs sufficiently sensible of conditions. Does anyone have the foggiest idea of what sort of power we so blithely evoke? Does anybody in this room have any idea what the Holy Spirit is capable of? That's what she's saying. And then she goes on to say... It's madness to wear ladies' straw hats and velvet hats to church. We should be wearing crash helmets. Ushers should issue life preservers and signal flares. They should lash and tie us to our pews. For the sleeping God may awake someday and take offense, or the waking God may draw us to where we can never return. This is what it means to live in the life of the Holy Spirit. He may take us to where we never return. Missionaries understand this. Did you hear that? Do we want that kind of God in our little lives? Do we want that? It might not be so comfortable. It might not be comfortable. It may cost more than we're willing to give. Now, because I'm here, and I haven't seen Bethany in a while, I have to put a Lord of the Rings thing in. One of my favorite parts of the Lord of the Rings I just, I I listened to it recently. I read it. I watch it. I'm I'm immersed in it, because it's an epic journey, an epic quest. And I see the Christian walk is the same way. And there's a, in the movie, there's an amazing scene where Bilbo is trying to decide if he should go on the journey. And he's sitting in his armchair, and he's sipping, and he's just all in a fizz. And he says to Gandalf, can you promise me that I will return? And Gandalf says, no. I can't promise you that you'll return. But if you go, you will never be the same. This is what it means to walk with the living God. It means to go and be changed because you are chasing after the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Now what if you want this in your life? Now we come to the power part. What if you really want this in your life? Or you're nervous about it? but something inside of you says, that's for me, pastor. Nate, that's for me. I want to do that. What if you want that? I really do want that power. It scares the daylights out of me to talk about it. It scares me, but I want it. So how do you get it? Well, the scripture presents many prayers, but none of them pray prayers that say, give me that kind of power. In fact, the one prayer that seems to summarize that kind of prayer is this, I believe, help my unbelief. That's the prayer. I believe that you're capable of all that, but most of me doesn't. Do you know God's not afraid of that prayer? He's not afraid when we actually confess. I mean, Nate talked about the confession earlier. I love the way he presented that this morning. But it's the idea that we're not, we're not confident in everything, but we're confident in the one who's leading the journey. And that's different than being confident in ourselves. That's the prayer that I must pray. I believe. Help my unbelief. So back to verse 3. Jesus presented himself alive to them after suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days, and speaking about the kingdom of God. Jesus presented themselves in such a way that they believed in him, and he turned the world upside down. You will receive power, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. You're going to tell them about me. That's all your job is. That's your job. You're going to tell them about me. Did you notice your reflection this morning? And this is the questions. I have lots of questions this morning, but does your life, does your life look like something that wouldn't make sense to people around you unless you were actually a Christian? lest there was actually a God, when they look at your life, do they see your life being lived in such a way that there must be some other music that that character hears, because he's doing it differently. She's doing it differently. They're doing things differently than I am. Does our life reflect that kind of understanding of the Holy Spirit? That's what, that's what's talking about here. Where does the power come from? You Ready? It's not a very complicated answer. You have to believe. You have to believe. What do you have to believe? You have to believe that Jesus was alive. You have to believe that he was dead. You have to believe that he was raised and made alive again. He presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs. And he ascended before his followers. And when he said these things, as they were looking up, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And we know that he's going to return someday in very much the same way. So let me repeat what we have to believe. We have to believe that He lived. He died. He rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and promised to return. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that this morning? Okay. If that's true, what difference does that make in your life? I'm not talking about inside this room. I can see you all here. What's it look like out there? And I'm not talking about after you die and go to heaven or pardon me, when the new heavens and the new earth come down, and God makes of heaven, uh, the earth, the heaven, and the veil is removed, and all things are made new, and everything sad is untrue. Nate says that a lot. But how does this belief change the way you live? The passage continues, while they were gazing into heaven as, as he went, as they're they were talking as he was leaving. Jesus begins to leave the ground. His body that they touched, that they ate with, they fully recognized as human. Jesus' human body is lifted out of his sight. That's what it says. They watched it happen. And what did they do? They looked up. They watched. They just stood there staring. And that's, because that's exactly what I would have done. How many of you would have done the same thing? And they must have stared a while, wondering what was going to happen next. And the angels, the two men come and say, Why do you stand looking up? Another translation, Why do you stand? What are you guys doing? Yes, that was an amazing, miraculous, astounding. Yes, what you witnessed was astounding. But the question is, Why did you see it? Why did you see it? Why are you called Christian? Why are we called Christian? The reason we see it, the reason we believed is ready to be witnesses, to give testimony on the earth, in real time, in real space. Now, do you remember this morning when I said this is very difficult to come to preach to a crowd that I don't know? Do you know that I was, that I was physically uncomfortable? Seriously, I was nervous. Now, you look at a guy like me. Do I look like I get nervous about anything? I'm talkative, look like I'm scary looking. I was very nervous. Now, I want you to imagine with me for a moment someone who has no idea what we're talking about as Christians, no idea what it means to be a Christian. And they come through this door. What do they see? They hear a language they don't understand. They see a strange looking people. They listen to songs they never heard. And then there's a guy standing up with a long loaf of bread talking about something, and I don't get to eat any of it. I mean, imagine what it's like for those outside of our little cult, our little cultic understanding of what it means. I don't mean a cult in a bad way. Don't send Nate any emails. I don't mean that. What I'm saying is our little gathering of people, what is it like for them to come in? And the real question is, how do we make them feel comfortable? Because one of the things that we do in our time is we say, come to our church and be like us, and we'll show you Jesus. And you know what? I got news for you. They're not interested. They're not interested. You have to go where they are. You have to go and do what they do. And, and last Sunday, when I was in my church last Sunday, I, I preached on what it meant to be chosen, and I reminded everybody of what it means to be chosen, to be called by Jesus. When, when he says, the Father gives them to me, and no one snatches them out of my hand, That's what it means to be called and chosen. Just because you went to the bowling alley and bowled with a bunch of pagans. Ooh, can you say that word in here? You went to bowl with people who don't know Jesus, and they use bad words, because that's the words they use. You're not going to get snatched out of God's hands because of that. If you stay long enough, they might start asking you real serious questions, because they're brokenhearted. They are completely disoriented. They are completely confused out there. And witness means to go, and walk, and talk, and listen. Pardon me, no talking. Listen, listen, listen. And then when you finally use words, you have to use words that they actually understand. You can skip the four-letter words. I get that. But you have to use words that they understand so that they can begin to understand, what does it mean to be witnesses to Jesus? This is what we're called to do. Yes. Truth. We need it. It must graduate. Now, where do I get this from? Where do I get this whole idea of witnessing to people who don't understand? The Trinity. It comes from Jesus himself. Imagine for a moment if the Trinity said, here's the Father, Son, and Spirit looking down, going, they're lost. They don't know what to do. Come on up here, and you can be with us come on, just come into our little group. We'll make room for you. Just come on up. He doesn't do that. Jesus does the exact opposite. He looks and he says, there's no way that they're going to get this. So I'm going to become one of them. And the, the descent of the living God, the descent from there to where we are, is beyond our comprehension. How far he condescended so that he could wrap himself in a skin suit. He committed himself to a 13, 14, 15 year old girl to change his diapers. I raised those kind of girls. I wouldn't commit much to them at all. Sorry if, if you're that agent here. Okay, I'm not talking about you. I'm just talking about my own. Jesus, the living God, committed himself to us, learned our language, ate our food, walked next to us, and he didn't correct us every 10 seconds. He walked with us and talked with us. Even when the disciples, who were supposed to know better, said, okay, Lord, we paid the cost. Is it time? You know what? I want you to wait for the Holy Spirit. (laughs) And they gave their lives for what they heard next. They gave their lives. See, this is where it comes from. So the real question is, how do we begin this? Where does this start? You don't have to go off to Asia although God bless you if you do. You don't have to go anywhere. You see people every day who are in your airspace, that it's simply an opportunity to stop and listen. Don't hit them with your Bibles. They are not even sure what that is. I'm saying, don't misunderstand me. Use your scriptures, please. I love the scriptures. I'm reformed. I took all the exams he did and more, okay? I have more education than he does, (laughs) but he'll get there. I love the scriptures, but I know that what I know has to be put into baby food for those who are completely without hope in the world. This is what the gospel is. The gospel is simply God saw us, saw our need, came. And now he says, now remember what I just did for all y'all? That's, that's southern for y'all. You guys, you guys, you know what I did for you guys? You go do it for them guys. That's what this is all about. That's what we're talking about. That's what it means to be mission. That's what it means to go on mission. That's what it means to be a witness. Jesus, the Son of the living God, became flesh, ate our food, walked in our clothes, walked in our flesh, wore our clothes, talked, and in all things was tempted, suffered in all things without sin. And then he simply says, at the Lord's table, he says, you will proclaim, you will proclaim all the fun things you're going to get to do when you become a Christian until I return. No, you will proclaim my death. That's all we have. We have the death to proclaim. A death that means life. That's what it means to be a witness. So go. When you go out there today, go outside there. I remember being in the church. There was a big sign across the door of the exit. that said, you're now entering the mission field. That's a beautiful sign. And it's the idea. You're going into the mission field as soon as you leave today." except you're going to stay for prayer, and then you're going to leave and go into the mission field. So I want to have questions and answers. It's just too tempting not to do that. But I'll stop right now. I'm still a little shorter than Nate, I'm told, so it's okay. (laughs) May I pray for us, please? Our Father and our God, it is before You that we live, move, and we have our being. And we see in You, Father, and in You, Jesus the Son, and You, Holy Spirit, a perfect unity and you pulled us into that, and you simply command us, ask us, teach us, tell us to go and bring others. Holy Spirit, I ask you to open our eyes, show us in these moments, and in the moments ahead during this day, and the week ahead, and the months ahead, opportunities to simply be with those who do not know, and plant the seeds of hope. And we ask this in Jesus' name, and we ask it for his church.